We come to our second lesson now, uh, and we're kind of nearing the end of Luke's gospel, uh, and we see Jesus in Jerusalem encountering a group of religious leaders called the Sadducees. Now, people might get them mixed up with the Pharisees and scribes and other elite groups, but the way to remember the Sadducees is that they did not believe in the resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. Check the box for my dad joke of the day. (laughs) Friends, I invite you to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 20th chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning with the 27th verse. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless. Then the second and the third married her. And so in the same way, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife would the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is the God not of the dead, but of the living, for for to him all of them are alive. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Well, friends, in the coming days, we have uh, an election looming in our nation, and I just felt everyone's anxiety go up. (laughs) But the reason I bring this up is that with this season looming, we know that tis the season of October surprises, hot mics, and gotcha moments for reporters. We see people trying to trick one another, trying to trap one another in conversation and debate. What we see in our gospel reading today is really what's happening. It's a similar thing happening. The Sadducees are trying to do something very similar here. They're trying to trap Jesus in a theological debate. They're trying to make him say something illogical about the resurrection, which, remember, the Sadducees did not believe in. So they ask him a sort of loophole-like question about a woman who had the unfortunate fate of having become widowed seven times. In this, they describe the practice of Levirate marriage, wherein if if, um, a man dies, their brother is is obligated by the law of of Moses to marry the woman and to, to raise a family together. So the Sadducees pose this philosophical question to Jesus. If there is this resurrection you talk about, whose wife would the woman become? In the life that is to come, that is. I mean, it's not a bad question. 
it sounds like an awkward situation in heaven, to say the least. I mean, who's married to who? How does all of this work? The way Jesus responds is that you all are asking the wrong question. Too often, we in the church, too, like the Sadducees, focus on this passage to talk about marriage and what that looks like in heaven, but that's barely on Jesus' radar in this text. Jesus doesn't talk about marriage with the Sadducees. Instead, he talks about resurrection. He tells them that those who wish to marry in this age, um, or in this, this age that is to come, will be called children of God. They're children of the resurrection. Now, the Sadducees don't want to believe in the resurrection because of loopholes and semantics. But Jesus doesn't badmouth marriage or says anything particular about what we should believe regarding marriage in the afterlife. It, like I said, it doesn't really seem to be on his radar at all. Rather, Jesus seems to basically ask the Sadducees, do you want to be children of this world? or children of God? Do you want to worry about the institutions of this life, or do you want to focus on the life that is to come? Jesus wants them deeply, badly, to become children of the resurrection. Even these guys that are trying to trick him. You know, sometimes in this life, this crazy, odd life that we live in, I think all of us, too, can often forget that we are children of the resurrection. By that I mean that we become so focused on the ins and outs, the institutions and social standings of this world, that we can forget our identity as children of God, as children of the resurrection in Christ. Now, the church has never really adopted or, or leaned into this, this identity as children of the resurrection as a defining title for Christians. And I mean, I get it, it's a bit of a mouthful. Maybe it sounds a little too similar to children of God. But there's another name here that I'd like for us to consider. One that I think is, is basically the same. Saint. Our focus word of the day. Really a word that means holy ones. Those who are holy. Now... Many in our, our community and culture are familiar with the Catholic or Episcopalian or Orthodox understanding of the word that, that gives that title to particular folks who lived exemplary lives of faith um, in this life. And in our understanding in the Reformed Church and many of the other mainline traditions, we focus on those who have died. So the saints who have gone before us, who paved the way for our own faith, who taught us who Christ is, who remind us constantly that God loves us. But today I want to remind us of another aspect of this word. Saints are not just those who have passed away, but all disciples, past, present, and future. So today we're trying to put the all in all saints day. Yes, that means even you and I are saints, even when we don't necessarily feel like one, perhaps especially when you and I don't necessarily feel like one. I think this is a title that we need to um, renew, that we need to, to commit ourselves to anew as, as a church, as, as um, disciples of Christ. 
I'll never forget my favorite teacher in high school. His name is Mr. Ellsworth. He taught me AP U.S. history. And in addition to being a wonderful teacher and, and inspiring us to, to learn about our nation's history and all of that, the thing I remember most about him is, is that he would begin each class with this greeting. Good morning, patriots. It always put a smile on our faces. This was a fun greeting. It was very unique. But he was really getting at something deeper here by doing this. By saying this each day, he sought to instill this identity within us. That as we learn the the history of our nation, his deep hope was that we might become good citizens of it as well. Or as he preferred, that we might become patriots. I think in a similar way, this passage can remind us that we are saints, that God calls us to be saints as children of God, to lean into this identity as children of the resurrection, as children not just of this life, but of the life to come as well. To help us reflect a little bit on what this means to to kind of commit a little deeper into this identity as saints, I want to talk about three characteristics for us to reflect on and what it might mean for us to to deepen our identity and commitment to to living as a saint. The first characteristic is that being a saint means that we see life when others only see death. In our reading, Jesus says to the Sadducees, Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living, for to him all of them are alive. I think this rings true to us, especially on All Saints Day. As I said, we're trying to emphasize that saints are not just those who have gone before us, but us today and and those who come after us as well. But there really is something important and vital we can learn from the witness and faith of those who have gone before us. I know in our congregation, we lost some truly remarkable saints this year, as we do every year. But folks who have deeply shaped my understanding of what it means to follow Christ and what it means to to serve as a minister of the gospel. So the first characteristic is that we see life where others only see death. Second is to be a saint means that we see hope where others only see despair. Now, I think our wider community knows this one really well because I know for a fact that there are a number of lifelong Washington football fans in the congregation. My Packers aren't faring much better this year, but I've always been amazed at the commitment of Washington fans. Yesterday, I had the joy of of participating in a prayer walk with our friends over at First Baptist Church uh, around the corner. Uh, They do this a couple times a year, and this this year their pastor um, sent a personal invite to all the pastors, um, other pastors in town to join them on this effort. And it was really a wonderful experience um, here. And it wasn't just the walk alone that made me hopeful. Um, because we, we walked around Old Town and prayed at various places for businesses or for other churches um, or for the community at large as we saw it in action Saturday morning. This alone was hopeful, but you know what really gave me hope on this walk? Three people we encountered stopped and asked us what we were doing. And upon hearing what we were doing, they joined us on the walk. 
in our world that is deeply divided on every issue, in, in a world and a community in which uh, the, the collective voice is saying there is no hope, that we are broken re- beyond repair, these three folks really instilled my, reinstilled my hope. My hope that God is still present in our midst, that God's spirit is breaking down the walls that divide us and bringing us closer and closer together as brothers and sisters in Christ. This goes without saying that I think this part of being a saint is especially important this week as our nation prepares for an election. It's safe to say that no matter who you're supporting, there is a lot of anxiety, anger, and division on all sides. Saints are able to see through the anxiety, the division, and remain hopeful. Hopeful that we are not ultimately defined by any candidate or political party. Hopeful that regardless of who wins, that healing and reconciliation in our community and nation might begin in our country the following day. And friends, of course, this unity in Christ is seen most visibly when we gather at our Lord's table. It's here that we are reminded that we are gathered, that we are met not just by Christ, but we are met by one another with the saints past present, and future, to gather at our Lord's table, to share in the feast Christ has prepared for us. So we've done one and two. First characteristic, we see life where others see death. Second, we see hope where others see despair. Third one is probably the most difficult for Presbyterians. We're compelled to tell about it. We're compelled to tell one another of God's love, that God loves us just as we are, that God's life and love is more powerful than death and hatred and division. But friends, this is what we are called to do. Saints of God, we are called to speak out and share that there is life where others only see death. We are called to share that there is reason to have hope where others only see despair. Saints of God, let us try to tell people about it. Let us try to share the message of God's love for a world deeply divided, deeply hurting, and deeply longing for God's love that we know in Christ. Saints of God, may it be so for us and for all of God's children.